Welcome to Wabi Sabi Stories, with me, Coco Wynn. An exploration of people's unique, beautiful, and imperfect journeys, and the lessons learned along the way. My first guest is Fan Min Zhao, or most people know her as Jane. I wanted to bring her on this podcast because of the growth that I've seen from her, from the time that we first met got to work together, and to where she is now. Our talk was around how her childhood influenced her as a leader, her experiences and her struggles in Malaysia, where she spent most of her life, and finding the intricate balance in work, life, and spirituality. Here's our conversation. Hello, Jane. Thanks for joining the podcast. It's my pleasure. I'm so really happy that you uh, you asked me to join because <laughs> it's also your first episode. I, I think we kind of talked about this uh, quite some times ago, um, and I always kind of like, okay, this would be very interesting to to kind of record whatever conversations we usually have, mm. and to keep the spirit as it is. Okay, just some casual conversations. As it feel like this is some kind of um, it's not like a very formal thing I would say, but it can be very relates to a lot of people in our situations or yeah and anyone. Yeah, yeah thanks thanks for that. I've known you. I think I've known you for if if I'm not mistaken for a year and a half because we met um, in Bangkok. Yep. This was this was when was this? This was March, twenty twenty two. Yes. <laughs> this is March 2022. And the first time that we met was at the Prompong BTS station. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yes, I, I, still, I still remember. And I remember I would never able to forget because you would never stop telling people how the story that you know, we met. But yes, uh, you're also my first colleague who reached out and say hi. And that meant a lot to, to me at that time. Just for the context, um, I'm actually was moving from Malaysia to mm. to Bangkok. That's not the first country that I moved abroad for. I'm originally from Vietnam, but then again, right? It's it, it's not the first time, but it's always feel like a first time when you when you start a new job, when you start with a new team, new environment, and it's always very nice to have someone to reach out to you and uh, feel welcome. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, starting a new job is always really scary uh, and, and exciting at the same time, but it's always great to have the first interaction with that first person. Um, so I, I, I really wanted that to be a, a, a good experience for, for someone that joined a company as well. So you t- talked a little bit about coming from Vietnam, but for the people that don't know about you, um, you know, tell, us, tell us a little bit about Jane mm-hmm. uh, and, and tell us, about, tell us about the younger Jane as well. Who was she and what was she like? What was her childhood like? Oh, gosh. Okay. <laughs> well, Jane and I, <laughs> we go back a long time. Yeah, uh, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I would say my life um, so far has been so far has been divided into three parts. Hmm. The beginning part was the one uh, growing up in Vietnam. I was born in, um, in a smaller city in the south of Vietnam. And uh, later on, we all moved to... Ho Chi Minh City, which is like the biggest city, and that's where I also start to um, have an idea. It's like, okay, I 
I want to see more of the world. And um, big cities like Ho Chi Minh City was already like big enough for me at that time. And then that's where we start to have um, the internet comes in. Like, you know, back then our family, we still have like a very big box of internet um, computers. Uh, it's not like a laptop right now we have like, with a flat screen and all, but it's like a very bulky one. Mm. When um, when was this? Uh, that was, oh gosh, just begin early of 2000s. Early oh, 2000s. Yeah, okay. early okay. 2000s. So, yeah. So, so it we, must have been like, like, what, seven, six, seven? Yeah, I was in my secondary school. Secondary school. Like Got beginning it. of that. And we, we can't move to Ho Chi Minh City and... And that's where I start to have like a like Yahoo, you know, if that still exists. <laughs> yeah, so that's where I start to have an idea of like to study um, outside of Vietnam. Mm. And uh, yeah, that's start my second chapter in, in Malaysia. Mm. I spent um, the next 10 years of my life in Malaysia studying and have my first job, um, second job as well in Malaysia, a different part of Malaysia. And that's my second home still. Yep. So now I'm calling Bangkok is my uh, my current home. What I'm hearing is you spent the the earliest years of your childhood in the southern part of Vietnam. Vietnam what, yeah. what 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 town was this again? Uh, it's in Sap Trang. Sap Trang. Yeah. Wow. So uh, not many people know it. Yeah. So it's actually it's at the very further south of Vietnam, mm. and it's around three hundred kilometers away from Ho Chi Minh City. Talk to me a little bit about what your secondary school or, or, or your you know primary school years looked like. What sort of personality did you have as a kid, you know, and what that personality looked like then and which sort of traits still carried on until now and what those influences looked like? Hmm. Okay. I uh to start with um, I was a single child for eight years mm. until I have my brother. So I, I've been pretty much like have a lot of traits and personality of a single child for a long time. And that's some of that still carry with me like until now mm-hmm. in terms of um, I tend to have everything figured out by my own mm-hmm. um, independence, I would say. And that helps a lot in throughout my journey, moving different cities, different countries, um, figure things out by myself. And yeah, I, I thought that's one trait that's still with me. Other than that, I would say that's... Um, you probably didn't know that, but I was also a, a like kind of a social person back then. A social person, <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, because I was in the uh, in the theater uh, club, and um, not by choice, <laughs> but I enjoyed it a lot. I, I guess that's a part that made me kind of feel connected to people, like outer people, was actually through uh, art and music, and that's also like a common language that. Um, connect everyone else in, in the words too and that still make my inner job happy like sometimes when I um like now we as we were recording this is it's like beginning of December so we're gonna have Christmas soon and um things that make me happy about Christmas is the Christmas song I know you have some some kind of fringe or anything like about it but still Christmas songs so uh yeah that's the second thing um, and yeah so okay I can definitely see a lot of qualities that might have come from this and merging into the more mature Jane. Um, I also see a lot of leadership roles that you took up in school. You were president of your student council, if I'm not mistaken. What was that experience like? 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, I I do have a um, couple of different opportunities to to lead different projects, um, run through different yeah schools, communities, and all. Mm. But the surprise thing is, I as as you know, my personality. But for for those who don't know, I'm quite a bit of introvert, and I, I am still. And if there's any situations that make me have to go in front of a bunch of people, I would say no. So how did I end up there? Uh, I, I did not apply for it. I was nominated. Um, but then at the end, I, I'm glad I did. And simply because at that time, uh, Ari was already in Malaysia. Yeah. And we, we realized that they have never been um, a president who are not a Malaysian. So basically, like any representative from international student communities. And let's also reflect a lot in terms of how a lot of activities was kind of um, not applicable for international students as well. Mm. Um, I mean, Malaysia is like a great country with like multicultural and all, um, but then it's, it's still like of that representations, right? So I was actually just uh, in a casual conversation like this mm. with a bunch of friends from Korea, from Vietnam, uh, from Myanmar as well, and um, we just kind of complaining a little bit. Like, oh, you know, we, we want to do this, we want to apply for that, but it's not for us, something like that. So we, we want to create like environment for that exclusive for everyone else. So during that time, I was actually um, running and helping with the student council for different projects. And eventually it's actually leading to, uh, hey, how about you can, you know, like run for this role. and that will give you more authorities to to make the rest of the things happen. Mm. Um, yeah, so that that's how I, I started with that, and I'm glad I did. Because later on, we also managed to form a Vietnamese student community. Um, that later on, I also become the person of that, and then we can't pass by that to to other generations, and it's still running until now. And it actually helps to connect the dot a lot. Because later on, it's also helped to bring a lot of exchange students from Vietnam that. Um, probably don't have the conditions to have like a full course abroad, but they still can have some exchange program to see what it look like. Exactly the same feeling how I felt when I wanted to come uh, to Malaysia or when I go to abroad. So I want to provide the same experience. Mm. Yeah. So, so initially, I mean, there was a student council yep. and you, um, with, with, you know, the, the batch of your friends, you mm. felt that there wasn't a an inclusive community for the students in, or, or specifically in, in the school. Mm. So I guess this was your first um, passion project, so to speak, to to kind of build that community for all the other uh, students within the, the school. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, that that's like the, the highlight of it. Of course, there's always a lot of low light mm -hmm. when you start, and you thought that it would be ABC, but then when you start to take it out, take it on, I and I think you're pretty sure like have the same feeling when you actually take on a role and you start to realize oh they still have like X Y and Z things to do and where this Z thing coming from and then why we have so so many things that happening and on that um, low lights um, and that's also uh, give me a lot of insights when moving to the adult work when mm. I and I start working and. Of course, it, you doesn't have to be a manager to take up a lot of different like um, project and have an ownership on different project, even your own work. Hmm. Yeah. So I guess that experience at student council really shaped a lot of uh, experience I needed.
So I also saw you recently took up a speaker role for a, an event in Vietnam. And when I first saw that, I was like, this is not the Jane that I knew from a year back. And yeah, that's very refreshing. And this was a partner event in Vietnam, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Uh, yeah. It was a, um, actually, there's two events that was initiative by our own company. Mm. And we actually have some partners involved in terms of like, um, like collaborations to provide a like more um, different point of view from the partner side as well. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think when, when you first started that um, and took on that opportunity as a, as a speaker and as a moderator, um, did, you, did you find that you were reflecting on the younger self, the, the self that, that said, hey, we don't have an inclusive community here. We should speak up for this. Hey, we should start something because this would mean more to other people and, and provide value. Take me through the thinking process of why you took on and, and, and how you took on that opportunity. I guess it's just read through my mind. Like, yeah. I mean, what do you think the reason why I take off this podcast <laughs> invitation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I, I have a, a period of my life with that energy I was still there, I would say. I mean, I, I still felt um, super nervous to think back about uh, the time I was on stage, um, the time when I speak up in front of so many different people. But yeah, you are right. I, I have a conversations with my manager at the time just to discuss about the event and also the, the dilemma I have in my head. Should I should not take this up as an opportunity? Mm. And I will also want to uh, thank him in a way. And he was actually also mentions that um, there's a lot of things. That's also the same thing that you mentioned to me when you invite me for this podcast. Things that you share to the people that you think is might not worth it or it's not even relevant or, I mean, everyone knows this, but you're not, you're not going to know. You never know. It's just a kind of like imposter syndrome in okay. a way. Yeah, I, I guess it is. So my thinking process was that I was like, well, I'm nothing. <laughs> and I'm, I'm nobody. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be in the middle of all the top leaders of the industry. Mm. I'm actually going to be in the environment of the people that have been doing that thing for like more than 10 years or like the entire life. Mm. And what value can I add into that conversation? Mm. And when I was actually have the first meeting with one another, um, another's uh, speaker, who is also... Um, a precedence for, for that industry. He's actually just like a very humble person. Mm. He will say that he's really excited that uh, we invited him because he thought with his, like, because of the industry, it was gaming industry. So things changed overnight. So he thought people would never think about him anymore because he's no longer relevant to industry. So that's kind of, give me a, a kind of like a knot on my head. I was like, hmm. Okay, that's uh, because I totally think different about him. So that's make me reflect on myself and uh, I'm glad I, I took it up. And my thinking process was actually, if I only trust my thinking process, you will never see me on that stage. So that's another thing I reflect on myself is whenever you have doubt, um, 
talk to the people that you trusted and uh, and take up the opinions too. Because sometimes we will just end up being our most horrible and worst critic of ourselves. So. It, it's, it's always a thing, right? When um, you have so many different things that are going for you, um, where people are commending the the, the accolades that you've gotten, the, the successes that you have, you know, and, and all, all the good qualities that you have, but you tend to always focus on the one comment, that one comment that someone else that might be insignificant would have told you, oh, you didn't do this well, but you'll think of that in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. and then you'll think, okay, well, I, why, I don't deserve this or I don't deserve to do this. But I think, you know, th there's a lot to, to learn from that, right? Which is overcoming your inner voice. That inner voice can be very misleading too. And I think when, when you start to, to get overwhelmed with this inner voice as well, you, you get that imposter syndrome. You know, what value would I be able to give compared to all the other people in this industry that were, you know, that, that are tenured, that are, um, that have, 10 plus years of experience that know this industry inside out. But it, in that sense, I think um, the, the why I'm also doing this podcast is to also highlight stories like this. I, I also want to, to get into a, a little bit more into um, some of the other career and leadership things that you've done uh, before. So what's interesting to me is as a, as a person that, that tells me that they are an introvert, um, you've led a lot of different uh, things in many different roles across your career. Take me through what drove you to also take on this leadership role in in all the roles that you've done uh, prior. I, I believe um, you managed a team at uh, cross group uh, management before as well. Take us through what what that what that meant to you. Uh, okay, this. <laughs> That's my first uh, official role after I graduated. And uh, it was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> terrifying. I, I don't think my, I mean, we still keep, I will still keep in touch with my, uh, my teams until now. And I'm glad that everyone have managed um, and landed themselves in a lot of different roles that they wanted to be able to do before. Personally, that role for me was... Uh, was a life changing because actually that led me to the next role that um, to open a different kind of career path. So for who didn't know, I started as the um, firm hospitality industry. Mm. So simply because I enjoy interact with people, not too much, but um, I do have a lot of inspirations to just listening to people conversations. Um, seeing the interactions, so that's why I went joined to that team. I think that oh, that's gonna be great when we have a group of like dynamics of different peoples, and then gets to work with them, and that's gonna be the similar experience I have when I was in student council. I was wrong. Okay. <laughs> it, it was much messier than that. Uh, it's messier in a way that um, I guess no one ever told me that when you become a manager, you. You just can't be as inclusive as you think it is anymore. And it actually took away uh, the part I enjoy at that time. So I, I do enjoy that um, connect with the people I work with 
But when I actually start managing a team, even though we have the same vision, we have the same objective, um, there's certain things that I would need um, to to act on or like take actions on that would be not on the same page or like we're gonna not gonna be in the same zone anymore. Like we feel as colleagues, yeah, there's gonna be some certain distance or a certain wall. I would say, and uh, that's Hashri's kind of like, huh. Is that some things I enjoy anymore? Um, hmm. That's kind of led me to a bigger questions that I have in life. I know a lot of people nowadays, they also say, oh, people don't want to become managers. They want to be individual contributors. That's easier. That's, that, that's a lot of different kind of things. So I'm glad that experience gave me a chance to have like a real, real life experience of what the managers look like. Do I want to be a people managers in the future? Yeah, I I'm, I still don't have an answer, but it's, it's definitely tough and it's definitely messier and yeah, <laughs> it is. I think a lot of people when they do become people managers, there's there's um there's a lecture that I took in uni, which was a uh, a management and leadership um, lecture. And I think this this lecturer was probably one of the the best lecturers that I had. This was the first time that, you know, he basically highlighted that there's managers and there's leaders. And there's a very stark difference between the two, right? I don't remember all of the theory and all of that. But at the same time, I think when, when you become a people manager, you hold such a such a powerful position. And, and, and when I say a powerful position, I, I feel it's a place of power that you can change a lot of things for, for your team. And being a selfless leader is, is one of those things, right? What, what are being able to, to kind of foresee what your team needs, being able to, to be there to provide that psychological safety, being able to, to be, um, uh, be, be someone that has their back, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the, those are just really small things that, that I guess makes a, a difference between just a, a, a people manager and a leader. Talk me through what, what are some of the things you wish you would have known going into this position, knowing again that you know this was not going to be the same thing as the student council role where, you know, the inclusivity part could be a lot easier um, implemented, mm-hmm. whereas this is more of a work culture. Um, it you have KPIs, you have you have targets to attain. Bring us through what 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 that thought process looked like, and what you wish you would have known. What are some of the things that you you didn't succeed in doing, and 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 what you learned from it? Yeah, I guess the first thing uh, that I realized when it when it goes to the positions, as if. It's also mentioned there's two things um, that was aligned with me as well. First of all, is um, there's KPI involved. This is this is a business setup, right? We, as much as we talk about different kind of like goals and objective, at the end of the day, it's a profitable or a profit focused kind of business. Mm. So that kind of shape um, a very different approach, I would say. If I ever take the same role again, or if I go back in time to set up my priorities clear. 
And this will also the same type of conversation that I think should be very uh, should emphasize very clearly um, to both parties. The first one is definitely the management that we we're reporting to. And when reporting to the management, it's not only yourself an individual anymore. You're actually presenting for your team. And you are basically, um, whatever you say will affect the rest of the team. That will bring to the second point you mentioned, provide psychological safety for them. And to bring that, it's very hard, I, I would say, in my role, um, simply because there's a lot of things that we have to take on responsibility for. But there's very little thing we can control. So having aware of, of that, I guess it's another thing that um, the second important things that I will take into my mind when I'm actually like landing on the next similar role to be prepared for that and to be very clear and transparent with my team members. I guess that's also another thing that I missed out on, on that role as well. I was taking a lot of those things on my own. Um, thinking that this is my own um, responsibility is to, to kind of carry all of this on my shoulders. And my team members have no idea what's going on. <laughs> and, and then that's kind of made me realize that, oh, I'm, I'm actually also the one that put up the wall by myself. Yeah. And uh, I thought that, okay, I, I want to take call of this myself. This is probably will go back to um, my personalities. Like, okay, I want to do this on my own. And I, then I realized that, no, I'm not on my own anymore. I have a team. And the team is not only just to do um, A, B, C, D by themselves, like whatever tasks I give them, but also to have discussions together. And they also need to be aware of what's going on. And I guess it would be much more helpful if uh, we have a, this kind of transparent communication as well. Mm. Yep. The first manager, first manager roles are always uh, really tough. Sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there's a, I mean, I, I've, I've only, how, how many people were you managing at this time? Uh, I would say it's, it's not a big team. It's like six, seven people. Six, seven people. Yeah. I would say that's a pretty, pretty big team. I mean, yeah, yeah. like there's some interns comes in and out as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think the most people I've managed so far is um, three people in my team, but they're three people that I hired myself. Ah. So, uh. So that's the that's yes. the other part. There's a difference between you know having a team that you hire yourself. You know the culture. You build that culture from the start. That's whereas true. you know you have a team that I guess in your case this is the team that you inherit. Yes, that's mm. a couple of team that was there before me. Mm. So it's a couple of me in a, a couple of like situations. I guess in in their in the team like later on when we no longer work together mm. to kind of like have a more casual conversation. There was like, is this person gonna come and change everything? Right, that, that's like a kind of concept when a new manager is coming to a existing team. So. Yeah. yeah, change management management is always tough. So, <laughs> um, let's get into uh, the the later roles that you had, which is more to do with sales and business development. Um, what made you get into to a sales role? Mm, I want I want to kind of like be in the front line of getting those business opportunities because mm. that's tough. And usually it's in the team. I was in the marketing team department before. And people always say that, oh, marketing team, they always spend money. <laughs> that's true. 
And uh, but then of course this this will also have a lot of factors involved. But then again, I also want to experience what it's like to get those hard earned monies come, right? And uh, eventually is to get an overview of what the whole business operations look like. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know, right now I think um, with with your current role, I, I think maybe let's let's talk about um, this role that you had. This I believe is in Malaysia. Uh, this is where, um, if I could mention this a little bit, I think you uh, had the chance to work very closely with uh, Google um, with this particular role, um, and with this as well, you know, you there's a lot of successes that you had during this role that I can see. You know, uh, uh, you helped to grow a lot of different accounts. You helped to to create a, a lot of different impact for for these uh, different accounts. Um, what what differences did you see being a uh, a team lead in your previous role in events uh, and uh, tourism and, and hospitality comparing to to this role, which is which I believe is more of a, a an individual contributor? Yeah. What what differences did you see, and also what were the the, the biggest challenges that you had um, with this with this switch? Mm-hmm. The biggest one I would say in terms of the uh, company structure. So in the previous role, it was pretty much, uh, well, it do have like um, some uh, markets outside of Malaysia that I will have to take care of. But in terms of the company structure, it was definitely on the medium size, or I would say like a little bit on a smaller size too. For the role that you was mentioning, um, my first sales job, and also I was an individual contributors. It was for a much bigger uh, company. It's like a kind of like an MNC, right? And that is kind of like an eye-opening because in the previous role, I have to build the SOP myself. I have to build everything from scratch, like everything. So for here, everything is ready for. You know, if you need a certain guidelines to do certain things, is there if you don't know should or should you not do certain things there's a knowledge base for that so everything has been set up for you everything is ready you have all the resources that you needed to set you up for success and that is also a role that i'm as you mentioned managed to have like different hard projects is also a very uh, pros part for working like a, for a bigger establishment. They always have a lot of different things to do. You always have multiple hats to wear. Then again, it's, uh, that's the biggest difference. The second difference is also definitely is the environment the people you work with. That's where you start to expose to the people um, that's coming from very much different backgrounds as you, which is great. Because for me, also, like, I always move from one place to another. And most of the time, I'm always working with, like, um, like local people at, at that time. And I'm always an outsider. Okay. <laughs> when I come through to that role, I realize everyone is an outsider in their own way. Like, there's this lady that I, um, I, I kind of don't remember where she's from. Um, but then, like, she's have a very um, unique skill in, in different things. And I was like, okay, that's that's very impressive. And I don't feel an outsider anymore in, in that time. And yeah, I guess it's also opening up for a lot of opportunities where I know 
um, the people in my current companies is also through that company. It's Cal mm. Connector. There's a few times you mentioned about being an outsider and being an imposter. Uh, I'll, I'll take a little bit of a tangent over here, but I, I want to get to know um, how you how you get out of imposter syndrome and how you talk to yourself or what, what are some of the things that you're, you're priming yourself when you're getting into these types of situations? I think everyone handles it differently. Uh, how, how do you handle it? Uh, remember earlier before we recorded this and I was, we just kind of talking about how I, how I don't know to cross the road. <laughs> this kind of hits me a lot of times when, you know, when I'm watching on different videos on stereotypes of different people. I don't fall into any of those stereotypes. I mean, I, I do have a little bit of everything, um, but I don't have a community like so exactly the stereotypes for me to fit in. How do I overcome it? I'm, I would say I'm still on the way. Um, but the first step definitely is to acknowledge. Uh, as you mentioned, it's very easy to, to realize that when you talk to someone, because when everything is happening in your head, um, you just kind of like um, move past it and focusing on what's wrong, okay, why I'm feeling like this, um, but you don't really see an overall patterns of it. So what made me realize is when I start to talking to um, more people, mm. including you, I, I believe there's several times when you gave me uh, a lot of um, advices during the time we worked together. And uh, even when we no longer work together, even right now, yeah. So sharing to to the people you trust and uh, open up to the people that are um, willing to provide the same feedbacks to you is definitely one way to, to help to move forward that. Um, yeah, and I I'm also would love to hear uh, whoever is listening to this podcast, if you actually is facing the same things or you have overcome that, Please let us know how how do you overcome that. I would love to try. Yep, yep. There's one question that kind of relates to this. I I'm not sure if this would be the most appropriate or sensitive question. There's a lot of talk about recently about the term women in tech or women in the workplace. That kind of you know uh, phrasing. Some people feel, I mean, you, you're now working in, in tech, right? And you have been uh, ever since the, the, the job at Google. Do you feel that, again, this imposter syndrome was something that came from, from that area as well? And, and maybe if, if you could talk a little bit about if you had any specific challenges in terms of the workplace, wherever you've worked in, um, where you have had to face this type of uphill battle? That's a very good question. <laughs> yeah, I guess woman in tech is, until this point, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I, I am still a woman in tech, but I'm not entirely sure what that means anymore. <laughs> if you know what I mean, yeah. I mean, it's always nice to, to have different people to advocate for different rights. I was also one of the people that advocate for um, minor communities to be in the student council. Personally, in tech or even just in the corporate world in general, 
there's also a couple of conversations that I have with uh, my current managers. Like sometimes ago as well, he was actually we were actually talking about some performance um, review and the certain things that um, we can actually improve even more. And there's actually one thing that brought up on the table, and it's also very interesting that discussions in terms of the matter of like, um, should we be more vocal? Mm, if people don't see you or don't hear about it, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't exist. And I have a very strong feeling about it, simply because um, not only I'm a woman, but I'm more of like um, the people who just focusing on this is what I can do, I would do it. Um, but to speak up about it, to tell people, this relates back to the imposter syndrome thing. Like to, to tell people, hey, this is what I did. It's very hard. <laughs> <laughs> to advocate for yourself. Exactly. So to advocate for people is easier. Mm. To tell people that, hey, I, I think that person has been doing this and that. They actually deserve this and that. But to advocate for myself. I'm not sure if others, women or any of others, introverts, will feel the same as me. But yeah, that's, that's why I've been through. And that's also before I take up the opportunities to, to become the speaker and the sort of moderators for, for the events as well. Mm. Yeah, but I'm, I'm quite curious too, because I, I, there's a part of me still kind of think there should be a balance of, um, you know, still be proud of what you did and share with other people, but also be humble and focusing on what matters more, which is the action uh, for anyone that is still early in the career as well. You know, um, when choosing a career, you know, it's, of course, it's important to look at this is something you enjoy doing, but even more important is to see, you know, um, who's going to be your manager. You know, like, they, they're not only the person you spend most of the time with, um, with at work, but also, as you mentioned, they, they hold certain authorities, they hold um, certain power, and they also in the positions that um, have more overall pictures to, to kind of like uh, shape on how you're going to become in the future, whether you're going to pursue the career path. Um, well, yeah, this like very important aspect that I think um, earlier in my life, I wouldn't consider it as one of the top priority when choosing a career or a job. But I do, I do, I would say that I, I do very um, grateful and blessed to, to happen to be a lot of different team that have with amazing manager and also a mentor. Yeah. To, to again, all the um, people that are finding their first role or like we are a little bit, we can say, still say we're early in our careers. We're five, five, six years into our careers, right? So um, for all the people that are within this space, how how do you feel that they should go about to find their mentor? And I think we, we always talk about mentorship being such a crucial part of not just work life, but mm -hmm. also life in general and, and to get that second opinion. How did you find your first mentor? And how was this pivotal to, to where you are right now? Mm, my first... Uh impressions or like idea of what a mentor should be mm. is someone that 
you know, like they's already very success or like they have like a years and years of experience in the field that I want to be in. That's my first impression. And it took me a very long time to find that mentor. <laughs> first of all is, um, I, I don't know that person. Like maybe someone famous from a book that I, I enjoy reading and okay, I want that person to mentor me or I wish that person can talk to me or I can have conversations with that person. Um, then after a while I realized that there's three top mentors that are already available for me at that time. Um, the person I'm working with, basically is my peers, right? They are in the same environment. They, they know what's going on, what happenings to, to our workplace every day. They experience it together with me. And, but the only thing different is, even though they experience the same thing, coming from a very different background, they have a very different perspective about it. And that is a kind of mentor I would need. The second one is, again, back to the previous thing I was mentioning, is the manager. It's your direct report. So they have uh, a much better view than what you have on a day-to-day -day basics. And most of the time that we know um, a lot of company directions that affecting our day-to-day -day work. And having that access to, to have um, as a mentor, it will actually shape you to be where you want to be in the next three or five years, because that's where they are. And the last mentor, uh, I would say, is the one that you you can't really fight them. It just happened that you you, you bump to them and and away. And this is a kind of a life mentor that um, is probably from someone that you all, you only can meet like once. Like an aspiration. Exactly. Mentor I, I guess. Yeah. yeah. And so the first two are very easy to fight, and you have a control of it. Stay tuned and we'll be back with part two. I want to get into a little bit about focusing on mental health and work-life balance, integration, whatever it is that you call it. Some people like to, to play on the word work-life balance. Some people like to still call it work-life integration because we've become so attached to our jobs as of, as of late. So, and, and I know, you know, you, you're probably, I think one of the, the people that I see that has such a, such a systematic way of structuring your life. Um, and you know, when, when I worked with you, I think you're probably one of the most structured persons you're, you have a, you know, a lot of systems that, that aren't just systems for the sake of being systems, but systems that help you to do your job really effectively. Um, talk us through what, what's, what some of your time management, uh, uh, strategies look like or how you're balancing a lot of these different activities that you have in your life with work. Yeah, work do takes a lot of our time. <laughs> and, um, to be honest speaking, reaching that perfect alignment or ratios between work and life. It's impossible. And that's not something I want to achieve either. I am a very systematic person. Um, I guess that's also make me feel relief to know that, okay, I have all the things that I need to do, sort it out and 
I have my time block to do certain things. <laughs> and I have a couple of same conversations um, with a couple of colleagues before because they, they were looking at my calendars and I, I was actually have every single task um, blocked out by minutes. And I do really stick to it. But it's all started because I was in a really terrible um, like mental health state where I can I, I cannot balance life between different jobs and different tasks I was given or finding more different like space I have to actually like be more uh, creative of my work. And that's where it's like, okay, no, this, this is not um, working really well. Not to mention, I don't even aware if I have any time for my life at that time. That was like beginning phase when I started the job. So I first started to um, analyze on the time that I spent and what I spent it on. And I guess to start with is to record whatever you did. Um, simply just block it on calendar. And then for Google calendars, I just have a very helpful tools for you to do your time analysis. They actually break down for you that this is the amount of time that you spend on, let's say, call or like meetings. Or like basically this is the amount of time that you spend on um, planning or writing emails or like just so on and so on. And when I started to look at that and I started to realize, hmm, can I optimize this area even more? And that is already the second step of how I can, you know, like start to put in a structure that is makes the most um, of my time and it's very personalized. Because hmm. for different people, right, let's say for me, I, I work better in the morning and I, I know a lot of people when they have their focus time, you much work like much better for them in the afternoon, whichever works. Mm. Yeah, and uh, that's how I settle the work part first, mm. because this will involve a lot of different parties. And when I get it done, that's where I need to look after my after work time. And this is also a very tricky part when you know we kind of like um, when we spend so much time at work. And we just exhausted and we just have like no time for ourselves, but we still want to have like, okay, I want to have a little time for myself. So I start to like stay up late and have that. What's the term for it? Like some revenge thing, right? That's like a term for trying to stay up later than you should, just because you want to create an illusion that you have more time for yourself. Mm. Yeah. I, I forgot what it's like. Some, if yeah. anyone remember, <laughs> just. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I, I was at that stage when I was like, oh, this is unfair. I, I don't want to do this myself. I, I want to have more time. Mm. So I actually stay up even later as I should and ending up feeling even more exhausted the next day. Um, yeah, and then I, I started to, again, apply the same things for my personal life to kind of see what are the things that I want to, to do and achieve in my personal time. That would be um, including... Um, exercise time for myself, exercise um, in different way that I enjoy as well. So like it, it can be anything, it's running or yoga, um, swimming, whatever. And then there's also another block that I dedicated for um, studying. Mm-hmm. And and this cap studying time, uh, I also very strict with myself in a way that uh, I only attend the live class lessons. So I notice a lot of online class that can watch the recordings, um, but it, it didn't work for me because I was like, okay, yes, we have a recording. We can always watch back it again, but it's never happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
So mm. that also helps um, with that for me to actually be there and block my time. Because if we can give the same of attentions to the meetings and the time that we block for work, we can do the same with our personal life. There's a saying that says, you know, you bring the best of yourself to work and you bring the leftovers back home. Right. Yeah. That does make me feel guilty. Like, why did I do that to myself? <laughs> In the beginning. Yeah. yeah, that's true. When you recognized this as a problem that you're facing, and this is, I feel that this is such an important question because we have a lot of people that don't know when they are in uh, this situation, when they don't know that they are either, uh, you know, uh, in in a state of uh, mental distress, in a state of uh, depression, in a state of being in a struggle, right? Yeah. When when did you realize that this was what you were feeling? Hmm. Uh, this is actually a, a question that gave me a lot of reflection. <laughs> it took me... Honestly, I, I, I don't think I can realize it by myself at that time. But it definitely helps when I encounter it again, which I would say is it's not going to be any easier. Uh, we, we're going to just end up with different Kyle challenges or seven cup issues that uh, bring us to the same uh, mental health state. The only difference is we start to recognize the symptoms of it and we get out of it or we have like just be stronger to, to get overcome it much easier. Mm-hmm. The first time I recall is actually also was when I was still in Malaysia. And there are um, a very long period of time, I guess, like that's like the entire summer break that I just stay at home. And there's actually like, two different parts of me who first beating up myself up for wasting time. But then there's also the physical state of myself that literally trend out and have no physical energies to, to be doing anything else. And I guess the mental part was the part that is tricky because it, it's not really give you a very clear symptoms in terms of like if you're too hard, you're like, okay, I can't eat. I, I need to go to see doctor. But if you feel tired or you feel sad or you feel low on energy, you can, well, you still cannot be like functioning with the bare minimum, but that's it. You, you just push yourself over it. And as a person that always push myself uh, through things, I was just consider that, oh, I'm just not being grateful enough for my privilege. And that's even worse. Until we have um, someone surrounding us and telling us that he was wrong. <laughs> that's, um, that's actually a very simple questions that a lot of people, when they ask the question, it's just kind of like a greetings or like, hey, how are you? How are you doing? But then sometimes you can actually felt it. And 
it's like you asking yourself, what's wrong? And that's also another part I realized in a lot of people in the low mental health state, how they get overcome that was not by isolating themselves even more, but to have a community surrounding them to make them realize that, hey, I, I get that this is a time that you want to disconnect it for a while to recharge and all, but this is what we realized from the outside. Can you tell it what's going on from the inside? You can choose to tell it to people that you trust or not. It's up to you. But that's the first step to realize that, hmm, is there something that's going on from the inside? Recently, I also do um, a very short um, course just to learn about, you know, like how we can go back. Um, the only way out is going back in, right? It's still a very tough thing to do because we tend to move away from difficult topics. If there's so much thing for us to do today, how we can do it tomorrow? <laughs> like kind of things, yeah. So uh, yeah, to back to your questions, as an, also an introvert, as much as I want to minimize my human interactions, I think those are the most powerful um, things that ever happens to like it's kind of human connection that helped me through a lot of different things. Mm. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's really powerful. Um, when when you mentioned about um, you know again, there's so much underneath uh, the layer that we see with 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 each other, you know, day to day interactions and and so on. Uh, but it you know, what what it sometimes takes is that one one question of hey are you okay, right? And having the vulnerability to be able to say, actually, no. Actually, there's, there's, you know, there's much more to it, uh, you know, and, and, and you don't need to find the right words to, to say it, but it's, it's just um, a matter of how you feel. And, and I also kind of say this to, to, to people as well. You know, we, we live in a society that is so, that we're so bombarded with, all the things that try to catch our attention, right? Mm -hmm. There's so much attention suckers in our lives. Um, you know, our social media, our phones, our laptops, our work, our Slack, you know, all, all that stuff. So I, I say this to people where the greatest gift that you can give someone in this modern age right now is the gift of listening because we're so preoccupied with our thoughts we're preoccupied with all the external stuff that's happening that we never really give the space for us to listen to each other um, thoughtfully. So I think that's, again, that's a very um, powerful thing that I think we, we should do more of. And, and it's a gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, guys, so I want to pause here for a while and uh, thank you for listening to what I shared today. <laughs> and also thank you for whoever listening this yeah yep. I noticed this year you've explored into meditation and philosophy tell us how this has impacted your mental health journey or how it has helped you so far uh, to start with um always a person who um, 
quantified out the root cause of whatever issues I'm facing. Mm. You know, a lot of times when people talk about mental health, they, they give like a bunch of different advice and you just be more grateful, like grateful for what you have or be more positive by looking at the bright side, a lot of those things. It'll be okay. It will be okay. It'll be fine. Yeah, you'll you know? be fine. You know, it's don't just... think too much about it. Yeah, just, just, just don't be sad. <laughs> like, don't be just... sad. Yeah. <laughs> try, try not to be too sad. <laughs> like just move that. Anyway, you get the, the point, mm. right? So <laughs> I, I, I do agree, like along the lines, uh, it, it helps and it works. But without knowing why or without figuring out what, like, what exactly it is coming from, or where this is coming from, all of those matter was just merely like those kind of like, uh, just, it's like drinking more any new addition. It's just gonna cover very top layers of what issues you're having. So uh, I, I tend to, that's why I start to realize, I do a lot of reflections. So I, I realize that every time when I'm, I'm dull or when not in a good mental health, I, I tend to, you know, like isolate myself into an empty space and to just observe what's going on. And that's where I start to explore what are the different practices I can do it um, in a much better way. I guess the term that I use when I started a lot of different those calls, and also recently when I um, joined one of the meditations um, program, it was a week program, a very short program, but then it's helpful because you get to talk to different people that been practicing this for the entire life. Mm. And some are still very young, like sometimes at our age. So I brought my questions to them, like how it can be more productive because there's just so many different methods out there. What's the most productive way to be in a better mental health? So there was also kind of give me an answer. Well, if you're looking for something more productive to optimize it, to do it in a much shorter time, then you're in the wrong place. But we do things much lower here. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I guess that that is also um, kind of make me realize that taking on the course is um, it's not a short-term thing. So actually, the course I'm taking is a philosophy for um, Buddhism mm. because I'm kind of amazed how, you know, like a lot of people, um, regardless of religion, but then um, the ashrams like have a very common goal is to be happy or at least to be happier than they are now, right? And then there are different ways to do it. So I just want to see what's the philosophy behind it. And this is a course that take up to 10 years. Mm. So I'm currently still in my first year and probably will have my final year exam uh, in January. Mm. Okay. So yeah, so it's still a long way. Do you, do you feel that this course, the one year that you've done, how has that impacted the way that you're approaching not just life, you know, either life, work, career, relationships, how has that impacted um, how you look at things and how you approach things right now? It's uh, one of the reasons why I took up the course because I was looking at the course outline all 
And that's one very interesting uh, part that it will go all the way to 10 years is about um, we will have a debate sections yeah. every class. And this is some things that I usually, mm, I don't think it's common for any of others like religions related course because this is what people told us and this is what we need to learn and this is what we need to absorb. But I'm always the one who have a lot of different kind of questions, like why it have to be this way or why it have to be that way. Um, so this is the kind of course that we give you a debate. Um, it can be a very simple things to say like, you know, um, I believe it should be A, B to do this C. And that's why. Well, because someone in the book say so. Mm-hmm. It, it's never convinced me that much it, it, to do that way. That's why I never actually used to uh, take up into any religious course before. So this one was actually give you um, opportunities to debate whatever you like until, you know, general rule of debate. If you have nothing to defend anymore, you will accept whatever um, the other person say. And uh, that's helped me to look at life a different way as well, especially at work. There's just different, a lot of different um, directions or a lot of different things that are happening in the co- economy right now that leads to a lot of directions in the companies that we might not be agree with or we might not know why this is happening this way. My old self would be like, okay, um, I, want, I want to um, fix it within myself. But then... After this course, it's give me the kind of ideas to start mm, asking and speak up more. And I guess this is also a kind of things when you also leading by your own example before. Because you was also the one that um, asking a lot of questions in, in the meetings. <laughs> well, I, that's something that I'm starting to, to practice more because the question is still there whether I ask them and get the answer or just beat myself through it and just put myself in a much worse mental health state. Talk to me a little bit about your role models or inspirations that you have either within the industry or someone that has influenced you or someone that you you look up to. Uh, Well, I don't have really a role model. even for we were talking about before, uh, a lot of people that have um, their favorite artists or like the idol, that whenever they have a concert, we must get a ticket to see them, right? <laughs> that kind of thing. Then that's kind of made me realize I don't have such things for for artists or any people like that. Then back to role model in terms of like career success uh, or even like life success per se. I don't have one to, to be exact. I would say it's worth different pieces of different people that make me admire and make me realize that I, I, was, I wish I, I would be the same. I, I wish I did the same thing. I wish I say the same thing. And it happens a lot of times. So earlier, I was also mentioning that you are sort of persons that uh, speak up a lot different in, in different conversations we have at work. You have a very good uh, advocacy for yourself, for people surrounding you. And 
we also know that someone else um, in our team that use also have the same uh, personality. That is also something that I look up to. Um, it's a very, yeah, I guess a lot of time when I look at back on that conversation, I tend to reflect a lot at the end of the night before I go to sleep. So sometimes when we're in a situation, uh, probably like in the conversations, a very important one, we kind of don't really know um, what's the right thing to say. And then I ended up not saying anything. Mm. Only for me is to slip through it and realize that, ha, huh, this is the thing I wanted to say, but I don't have the opportunity to say it anymore. And a lot of time people can label the people that tend to speak up more is like, well, you, you know, like you, you just like don't have a future or you should, you know, um, choose wisely what you want to say. Mm. But coming from a person who on the other end, I would say, I'll regret much more not saying things rather than to filter it too much, ending up not saying anything at all. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, so definitely that's, that's one of the role models I have. Mm. And there's plenty more. Yep. Yeah. With, with all of what you mentioned today, we talked a lot about, you know, imposter syndrome. We talked about, you know, being vocal. Uh, we, we talked about um, balancing mental health and, and, you know, understanding the, the, the points at which, you know, your mental health could suffer and to see the signs, you know, time management. Getting into a few pivotal moments in your life too. If there were any other pivotal moments that you found as the, the, the greatest challenge that you had or the, the greatest failure that you had or the greatest struggle that you had, you know, it, tell us a little bit about that and how you managed to go through that and to, and to become a fuller person. I'm not really a fuller person yet. <laughs> I guess the, the next one would be when I'm already in Malaysia. I, I mentioned this a lot because again, that's like 10 years of my life there. Yep. So, uh, there's a lot of things happening in that 10 years. Yeah. I. I guess the next powerful moments is when I realized the, the freedom at that time that I have, which I also um, treasures until now, is the freedom. Um, what some can see is like um, the loneliness of being independent. But for me, until now, I still see that it's very a big um, plus for all the struggle I'm going through is I still have the control over my time um, and a lot of decisions I can make. So if I'm in a certain state of my life that I don't feel good about, I always remind myself that, hey, I have a control to change it. If this is not the place I want to be anymore, I can move. If this is not the kind of work that I don't enjoy or is actually even worse, harming me in any way. There's always another different kind of work or career um, that can both benefit me and also um, the community and the people surrounding me. So I guess that's the, the next powerful moment where I realized that I have more control um, than I thought. Yeah. You're empowered to to 
essentially create your own future, mm. uh, create the future that you want. Yeah. yeah. A lot of times when, before that happened, before that moment happened, it's still the same situation. But then I, I have a lot of thoughts about like, oh, I, I, I can't control of, you know, the, what people are going to do to me. That's true. Uh, I can't really change um, the setup of this company. I can't really make the economy better. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That, that's still fact. That's still fact. But then um, there's a lot of different factors um, that we do have control with that we just can't ignore um, and focusing on the next negative thing right. that's happening. Yeah. Of of all the things that you mentioned today, you know, and and you know, there's there's so much that that I've learned about you as well that I didn't I didn't know from before. Um, so so thank you for sharing that. And of of all the things you mentioned today, what do you wish the listeners to take away from your story? A lot of things that we share probably resonate with you, whatever um, the listeners, whoever you are and wherever you are. So it's the same message that I would, would tell to my younger self that I would love to, to share it. Just think of it as like sharing to a friend, right? So I guess if ever, or you, if you ever felt the same things that uh, we both share today, reaching out to someone else nearby to you, and uh, they were probably happy, more than happy to listen to your story. Just like how you guys did listening to our story today. Such a powerful message. Thank you, Jane, uh, again, for joining the podcast. I have one last question. Awesome. And this is, um, this is essentially for the next guest. We don't know who the next guest will be. But if you could ask this guest any question about their story, what would you ask them? I was curious to know, uh, what is the toughest decision to ever make in their life? Okay. And why? What is the toughest decision you've made in your life and why? Yeah. Okay. That's great. Again, thank you so much for coming on the, the podcast. This has been a very heartful uh, discussion about you know life, work, career in general, your life and your story. And I'm very happy that we, we got to share this moment on this platform. So thank you very much. And thank you for giving me this caramel tea. The help is easier <laughs> to open up as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's always great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the story. If you found value or enjoyed this, my ask is to share this with someone who might benefit from this as much as you did. You can also support by clicking the buy me a coffee link in the show notes and subscribing on Spotify, Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you again and have a great day. See you on the next one.